also known as the Country Church, that's Country Western Church, that's why I've got this shirt on today, if you haven't picked up the theme. Um, it's great to have you here with us uh, this morning. Now, I know there are some visitors here, and you know it's a big deal that you've actually made the time to come and support two people who are being baptised. Maybe you've never been into a church building, maybe uh, it's been a while, uh, you know, we, we're just glad that you're here. So it's a big deal and we welcome you, uh, we pray that uh, it's welcoming for you. It's a good experience. And more than anything else, you'll get to hear about this Jesus uh, in a few minutes when people share their story, but also on the passage that we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, We as a church have started a series by looking at a particular book, a particular letter written by a guy called Paul. He's writing to a church that he loves very much. Uh, and we're just going to be looking at a section of that. We started that last week. And last week, Nathan really set the scene for us, set the cultural background, um, had those wonderful pictures up on there. I don't know if you noticed that on the screen. The reason why we do that is to let you know that this book that we talk about as a church, as Christians, we don't believe it's made up. Uh, It's real places, real people. Uh, not only was it relevant for the time for that church that this guy Paul is writing to, it's also relevant for us today. So for those of you who know Jesus, when you look at those pictures and those facts, they're as a reminder to you that this is a true story. These are all true stories, true accounts. And we sort of set the scene for us, this idea of live as Christ, uh, to live as Christ, to die is gain. And then also we were reminded of this wonderful truth that if you are in Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, you are seen as a saint. And we heard the story about how this church started, how three people's lives were radically changed, and how Paul, who now is in prison, and he's writing this letter to them. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. You can turn there. It's up here on the screen today as well. If you don't have a Bible, you've never read a Bible before, that's fine. Maybe look at the person next to you. You can pull it up on the phone. Uh, the other thing is also you can actually grab a physical copy here. Uh, now, I've got to apologize if the writing's really small. I kind of did it at last minute, so uh, that's my fault. Now, you can grab a copy of the Bible. If you don't actually have a Bible, please take it. It's yours. It's our gift to you. Uh, you can use it. So I'm going to start in verse 3 in Philippians chapter 1. We're looking at verses 3 to 11. This is God's word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may improve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to use this time and continue this time of worship. and We pray that you'll continue to reveal to us what's on your heart, both to us individually, but also for those of us who call this church home. We pray that you'll drown out any noises that are going in our heart and minds. 
and that your spirit will make these things that are said this morning come alive and you will enable us and empower us by your spirit to apply it. Lord Jesus, I pray that it's for your glory and for your fame alone. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Uh, as I said, we, we've been beginning this journey by looking at this letter by a guy called Paul. He's writing to a church in a place called Philippi. It's in modern-day um, Greece. You can look it up on Google Maps if you really want to. Now, what I want to do is look at three things this morning. I want to look at the idea of what a true partnership is. The second thing I want to look at is this idea of a, a beautiful promise. And then finally, I want to finish with a prayer. Now, what I'm going to do is we're going to have a little bit of time of a little small group discussion with each other. What I'm going to do, I want you to turn around to the person next to you. Um, hopefully, you like them. And, <clears throat> and I want you to start, I want you to think about this idea of partnership. Now, when you think about the word partnership, what comes to mind about partnership when you think about the area of sports, about movies, or about food? partnership okay talk to each other think about that word partnership think about food movies and sports and see what comes to mind just talk to each other give you about 60 seconds it's going to be a very quick discussion (laughs) hey you're all sorted good (laughs) all right nice (laughs) all right it's going to be a very quick discussion. Now, because there's so many people here, uh, I'm not going to ask for crowd participation. Maybe you can continue that conversation after service uh, as we have a sausage and tea and coffee and so on. But I've got to be honest with you. When I sat there and thought, you're going to laugh at me, and I'll give you permission to because it's ridiculous the things that I thought of. When I thought about partnership, when I thought about the area of sport, you know the first thing that came to my mind? Sorry, footy, right? That, that's what I thought I would think too. I was thinking it would be the Hawthorne Football Club and the team. And I, no. I don't know where my mind was. One of the first names that came to mind was Torval and Dean. Now, if you're a young person, you're going, what is he talking about? Google it. In the 80s, there was this ice skating uh, couple. Ice skating was really hugely popular before Will Ferrell and his movie Blades of Glory. And, and this couple were amazing. And they were a team. Their partnership was amazing. They were unbeatable in many ways. Then I thought about movie or or TV show, and the first thing that came to mind was Michael Knight and Kit. (laughs) Knight Rider. One of the greatest partnerships around. The Hoff, David Hasselhoff, if you don't know who that is. You can Google it. I'm talking to you. I'm feeling older ever I think about this. So if you're a young person, Google it, what I'm talking about. Then food. Two things came to mind. Coffee, yes, thank you. You can't partner that with anything, just drink it. It's beautiful. Um, but the other thing that came to mind was, because I, that, I think it was because I was talking to an American, peanut butter and jam. Pe- jelly, oh, sorry. If you've got an American in the crowd heckling me, sorry, I apologize. Uh, you might be someone who's an Aussie, you might do Vegemite and butter. Is that a good thing to do? I don't know. And cheese, Vegemite and cheese, thank you. What, what do you partner Nutella with? Nothing. Thank you. That was a trick question. You don't partner Nutella with anything. The only thing you partner with is a spoon out of the jar. Okay, for those of you on non-sugar diets, I'm sorry if I made you stumble. It's delicious. 
See, the idea of partnership is something we may see that we might not necessarily talk about in our daily language. We connect it with certain things. Uh, we may, particularly if you're in business, you talk about partnership a lot. But see, in these verses, what Paul is really unpacking for us is the first few verses is what true partnership is about, verses 3 to 5. So he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul is unpacking for us. He has a partnership with this church. It's not just the kind of partnership that we may know of in our everyday secular world. See, Paul is in prison. He's probably under house arrest. When we think about prison, automatically our brains might go to images. You know, he's, Paul's wearing orange. Uh, he's hanging out in the basketball courts or in the outside in the outside gym or he's waiting in the food line and the fight's going on. It's nothing like that. I don't know if you saw the picture last week Nathan put up. I don't know if you noticed. I'm guessing there wasn't much sunlight coming through those walls. He's alone. He's probably uh, chained to uh, another soldier. So Paul's view of partnership is so much deeper. It's actually a beautiful picture of what true partnership really looks like. Because what this partnership is based on is two key things, but it's driven out of one major idea. It's driven out of relationship. It's driven out of relationship. Firstly, it's driven out of his relationship with God. Notice in verse 3, I thank my God. That's the foundation of his partnership. That's what's driving this partnership. He thanks God for this relationship, this partnership that he has with this church. And then this partnership and relationship that he has with church is not based on family ties or ethnic backgrounds or ethnic connection. It's not even just because he started this church. Yeah, he did start this church. It's not even like in the sense of, oh, we're Christians, we're, that's the partnership. No, he's very thankful because this partnership is based on a key thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good message of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of this partnership. A better way to probably put this partnership is the language using called fellowship. We're connected with each other in fellowship. That's what defines this partnership for Paul. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's a sense that it goes much deeper, that they know each other, that they're united together around the good news and the message of Jesus Christ. Now, last week we heard how this church started. There was a lady who is probably a business lady. She comes to Jesus. She hears about the good message. She responds. There's a girl who is demon-possessed. She's in captivity, and then she uh, is freed from that captivity by the power of Jesus Christ. Then you have a jailer who's meant to look, um, make sure that Paul and his guys don't escape, and he thinks they've escaped. He's about to commit suicide. And Paul says no, and he responds to the good news of Jesus Christ, and his whole family and himself are changed. This church does have partnership in the sense of the practicalities. They're supporting him financially. It's very clear in this letter. But this partnership, the engine room, what's motivating all of this is so beautifully deep. It is in the message of Jesus Christ. It's a true friendship, a true partnership that goes on. It's not driven out of guilt. It's not like they're like, oh, we better support Paul. He helped us start stuff up. No, there's a partnership driven out of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And this idea of fellowship is a really wonderful story of God. See, from the beginning, when God created the world, he created fellowship and partnership with the first humans. 
where God was a loving ruler, the great creator of the universe. And under that rule, the first humans were placed to be his witnesses, to be in partnership with him, to be in submission to him, to trust in his provisions. But then the enemy of God, the enemy of humans, come into this world and tempts the first humans. And what he attacks is the partnership between God and the first humans. The partnership turns ultimately about looking at self, and the fellowship is broken. But see, God, because of his mercy and goodness and his care for humans and us, you and me, Paul, and the church in Philippi, as a response, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, who comes into this world. And then Jesus displays this beautiful picture of what it means to be in fellowship with the Father, 100% perfectly in submission to the point that he goes to a cross and dies on the cross for the sins of the whole world, including for you and including for me, including for Paul, including for the church in Philippi. And Jesus restores this fellowship for anyone who turns to this message, the good news of the gospel that Paul talks about, this grace. And they can have fellowship and friendship with the creator of the universe through Jesus. And then there's a day coming when God will return. It will be a glorious picture of being in fellowship with him all the time, continuously for eternity. Man. Today we're going to see two people in Rachel and Daniel responding to this relationship that they have, this fellowship that they have in obedience to God. But see, we're not just observers, we're in partnership with them. We are excited to see this happening for their lives as they obey Jesus Christ. So see how partnership is much deeper and bigger than what we may think it is? This partnership is driven out of the gospel in relationship with Jesus. There's no room for solo person in a church community. It's a partnership together. I don't know if you love, I love watching sports interviews at the end of the event. My favorite ones are the solo events, you know, when they finished a race and somehow they got the camera person in front of them with the microphone going, hey, how are you feeling? <gasps> Fine, I'm really good. Yeah. Oh. And often you hear them talk about, yeah, I've trained really hard. I've done this and I've achieved my goals. It's very high. And then you go to an event like a, a sporting event when there is like a team event. You know, rugby, uh, netball, footy, whatever your sport is. And afterwards, they might interview the winning captain or the team or even the losing team. And often they talk about, oh, we didn't do so well. Or we could have done better. Oh, yeah, all of us put in the effort. If it's the sporting guys, it's the boys did really well. And the girls, if it's a netball team, if you watch that. I don't, know, I don't watch that. Apparently, that's what they say. <laughs> But there's this partnership, there's this connection that's really deep and wonderful. I mean, I, I experienced this when I put on my Hawthorne jersey and I'll walk. Yes, I still put it on. I'm still proud of it. And I'll put it on, I'll go and watch the footy game and I'll run into a Hawthorne person and the first thing we say to each other is, Go Hawks! There's a partnership and connection there that's really deep. Friends, if you are exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know I'm not sure what you think about when you think about the word Church. When you hear the word church, you may automatically go to, oh, it's this building here, or one of those beautiful Anglican churches, or those Presbyterian churches, or churches in the city that you might see. I want you to know something. Church is not actually where you go, or where you are. It's actually who you're with. 
Church is who you're with. It's with the fellowship. It is partnership. Followers of Jesus Christ, if you call any church home, that is your home, and maybe even call Canterbury Gardens your home, I want you to know that you've been invited into a partnership based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is in prison. We know that, and he's writing to this church. But it's as if they're involved in his suffering and his challenges. So when he's suffering, they're suffering. It's the same here. We heard of that tragic events for the Jamison family. And you heard everyone go, oh. This is what partnership does. It's much more. It's not individual. Everyone feels that pain. When there are needs to rise, just like Paul's needs was financial and they supported him, helped him, but they were praying for him just as he was praying for them. We as a church do the same. That's what it means to be in partnership. And later on, you'll see in, in the church of Philippi, there were some issues that came up. And when that issues come up, it's not just individuals are affected, but the whole church is affected. See, this is why being part of a church is much more than on Sunday mornings or being involved in small group. Let alone even actually you're just involved in this church because you send the kids to youth group or kids church, which is fine. You can do all those things. See, this pushes against this idea that if you're going to be in partnership in the gospel within a church community, it pushes against the idea of consumerism. The idea of I'll go to this church for this, I'll go to this church for this, I'll go to this church for this, and then you kind of got this plethora. No. Paul writes and says, no, there's deeper. There's a partnership around the message of Jesus Christ. Did you know that if you call this church home, you are in partnership with us? You're not just in partnership with the pastors or let alone this building. You're actually in partnership with something greater. You're in partnership with Jesus Christ and the good news of his message. That's who you're in partnership with. In the message of Jesus and in the person of Jesus. So if you call Canterbury Gardens home, on behalf of the leadership team, we want to thank you for your partnership. Just as the Apostle Paul is thanking his people, I'm not an apostle, just letting you know. <laughs> as a leadership team, we appreciate your partnership in the gospel. On behalf of the elders, we want to say, we thank you that you make the time to come on Sundays to be involved, to give, to hear the needs and to pray for us. These are all aspects of the partnership and we appreciate that and we thank you for that. So if you are on the fence wondering whether if you should partner in the gospel, whether it can regards to any church, can I encourage you, don't sit on the fence. If you're going to be involved in the church, be involved 100%, be plugged in. Partner, not just with the church, but with the good news of Jesus Christ in that partnership. It'll be a blessing to you and it'll be a blessing as you step out in faith to serve Jesus. So with that foundation as partnership in the gospel and the good news of the message, we go into this wonderful promise in verse 6. Now I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This verse is very countercultural in the day that we live in. Now I, I know that some of you guys were talking about uh, you know, food, partnerships and food, and you talked about you know, both of you like meat. That was a good partnership. So when you roast something, when you roast like a leg of lamb, and you uh, just put it in the oven. You go buy it from Coles today, and you go put it in the oven, you know, salt and pepper and stuff, and you might put some herbs on it, and you eat it. Yep, that tastes really nice, I'm sure. Ah, but see, if you get a little leg of lamb today, 
Then you take it home, put some olive oil, garlic, ginger, herbs and spices, a nice and beautiful sauce around it. Then you marinate it for like 48 hours. Then you put it in a slow cooker. Those sausages are not going to beat that, right? It sounds delicious. See, in the world that we live in, we're always in a hurry, quickly. That's where this idea of fast food came in, right? Fast food. It's this idea we can't wait. We don't like waiting. We don't want to wait. These verses are a wonderful reminder of it's slow and deliberate. It's actually against the cultural norm. See, I, I don't know when you think about Christians. Um, if you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, maybe you're visiting today, you may think about the word Christian, and some images might come to mind. You may assume that us Christians, we're always awesome, and we're, you know, we never fight, we never argue, we're always thinking of the good stuff, we, we never swear, we don't drink, we don't smoke, mostly, and we don't do all those things. You automatically may assume that, oh, these guys, they've got it all together. I want you to know something. Particularly if you've got Canterbury home, you can stop listening for a sec. Have a look around. Anyone in this church, we're all a beautiful mess. We don't have it together. Far from it. If you think that's what Christianity means, I'm telling you that's not true. We are a beautiful mess. I mean, even the uh, people who are getting, stepping out in faith and, and talking about Jesus and, and will be getting baptized in a little bit, it's exciting, it's encouraging, but they also know they're in a process. They know that Monday will come and challenges may come, but God is at work. This is what these verses are. It's a beautiful, wonderful, beautiful promise to us that God is at work. He's always at work. Christ is at work. And then if you are a follower of Jesus, I don't know if you ever feel, maybe you had one of those weeks today. This week, you were like, oh, it's a terrible week. I've struggled in my faith. I haven't read my Bible much. I haven't prayed much. I haven't done any of the things expected of me. I've stuffed up. And you may feel that you're just constantly dropping the ball. Then there are some of us maybe on the other side going, yeah, I think I've got it together. I've read my Bible. I've prayed. I've done all these things. But yet there's a sense that you haven't really got it together. But then again, you may look at others and go, oh, I wish I was like X person. I wish that I was like that kind of a Christian. Or some of us may go, oh, I'm not at least like that, that person over there. See, these verses here is a reminder to all of us, to whatever stage that you're in, it's a beautiful promise that Jesus is always at work, even in the mess, even in the challenges. That if you've surrendered your life to his loving lordship, Nathan mentioned it last week that this church was seen as a group of saints. They belong to Christ but they haven't got it all together. I mean, there are other letters written by to other churches or really messed up churches, and Paul starts with saints in Corinth. That's insane to think about, and you read the letter and go, what? How are they called saints? But see, it's a picture of what God is at doing. God is at work. Jesus is at work. He's begun a work. And even the church in, in Philippi, there were issues, there was rivalry, there was conflict. Divisions were going on. And it's a wonderful reminder for us that even though we may slip up, we may sometimes drop the ball, and as soon as we turn and respond to Jesus and His conviction in our hearts through His Spirit, that means we don't need to stay there disappointed. We need to know that Christ is at work in us, even in the mess. It's like He's sitting there and He's chipping away. 
It's like we come into relationship with Him. We come into salvation, then we are adopted, we're secure. And then Christians use a word called sanctification. It's this process that Christ is working in you. And He's changing you. And He's got an end goal. It's the long game. The day of salvation. It's not like you finally got there. It's a constant process, but it's all Christ. It's all on Him. A few years ago, I met <coughs> with a lady who used to come to our church. And she's passed away, gone home to be with Jesus. Her name is Muriel Coates. And by this time, she was in the mid-80s, 80-year-old, 80, 80s. Yep, anyway. So um, after the service, she came and talked to me about an issue that she had with one of my sermons. And we were just talking about it. And, and she's a wonderful, lovely lady. And she said to me, I disagree with you on a particular point. I'm a young guy, and I'm stressing out. And I think... Oh, okay, you know, let's catch up and talk about it. So it was a theological issue we deferred on. So I met with her for a cup of tea, and I, I said to Mrs. Coates, I arrived, I was stressing out, because I arrived with my Bible shaking. She's got, um, if you're into um, Bible college, they have what's called a theological response. She'd written a paper for me on an old typewriter. She's got the verses, she's ready to go. And so we talk about this particular issue, and we just still disagreed. <clears throat> but through it, as we were talking about it, we talked about Jesus. We talked about the partnership we have in the gospel, and it was really encouraging, refreshing. Then I finally said to Mrs. Coates, Mrs. Coates, do you ever feel like, you know, you've got to figure it out? Is there a moment in your life you've gone, yeah, you know, you've really matured in Jesus? And she just looked at me and smiled and laughed. She goes, no, my dear. No, my dear. I never think that. Christ is still chipping away in my life. But it is getting better. It's a wonderful reminder to us in a culture that commonly sings almost that song that was written by Queen in 1989, I want it all, I want it now. This is countercultural and saying, no, Jesus will be chipping away, he's at work. So that is also encourages those of us who may be feeling discontent in your Christian faith, thinking that somehow you've missed out and maybe you need more. No, Jesus is at work. If you gave your life to him, he is at work. And those of us who are feeling disheartened this morning, I want you to know that Jesus will never stop. He will keep on working in your life. Because rather than looking at this promise that it's ultimately on you, no, it's the promise that Jesus is the one. It's a beautiful promise. He began a good work. He will continue his good work. And he will finish it. And that should be relieving words for us. So if you don't know Jesus right now, I want you to know whether you realize this or not, you are trying to better yourself in different ways. And that's great. Good on you. You should be a good citizen of this world. Even this morning I met with a guy who dropped off the spa and he was just sharing. We always talk about Jesus at some point. And I was talking to him and I said to him, how are you going, Colin, about this stuff? And he's like, nah, it's all right, Shabu. I've been working my own thing. You know, I'm getting exercise. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a better person in this way. And our conversation got interrupted and I was thinking on this verse and I thought, man, that's a lot of pressure that he's living under. I want you to know that you may be one of those people, whether you realize that your soul is probably aching in knowing that there's got to be more to this life. And there is. His name is Jesus Christ and he wants to come and invade your soul and heart and he wants to begin and work in you. And when he does, he begins his renovation work in your soul. So maybe this morning, after the service, chat to the people who get baptized and talk to him what it means. 
And for those of us who know Jesus, yes, there is a responsibility. It's not like autopilot. There is responsibility. Christians use a word called obedience. That's what the responsibility is on us. That we're ultimately saying yes to Jesus and his loving lordship in our lives. And then we're saying, okay, in the midst of all of that, Jesus is going to keep on chipping away in me. Because he's one who always keeps his promise. He's a beautiful saviour. But he begins to work and he's currently even doing that work even though you may not feel like it. He's at work in your life. And not only that, he promises to finish it. And his end goal is completion and he will finish his work. Man, what a wonderful promise if you call Jesus your saviour. This is why the Christian faith is countercultural. All other faiths are about self-improvement. The Christian faith says, no, it's about Jesus' improvement in you, working in you. That should bring absolute joy and freedom, and it should also mean that when you obey Jesus, even though it may be hard, when the world is telling you go this way, or culture is telling you go this way, you're saying, no, I'm going to obey Jesus. It may be still hard, but Jesus is going to enable you to do that. As you do that, you're partnering with him, and not only that, he's working in you. Then you finally come to this final beautiful prayer. Verses 7 to 11. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If you listen to those words or read those words, you get very clearly a sense, Paul really loves this church. He understands that there's a, there's a partnership going on and that not only that, this church is both involved in his imprisonment, that they're there with him in spirit and praying for him, encouraging him, but they're also involved in the defense and, and confronting against the gospel. They're standing up for the gospel. And it's ultimately what Paul is saying is, hey, we're in this together. We are family. We're experiencing, we're experiencing both good grace to us shown through Jesus Christ in the gospel, but not only that, we are stepping out and defending the gospel. It's a further language of saying, hey, we're in partnership, but it's also that it drives it further to this idea of affection. This affection is not driven from him. It's not like he's churning it up, going, oh, I've got to be affectionate to this church. No. The underlying thing is Jesus is driving this affection for him. Last week, if you hear, Nathan talked about my unending love for my beautiful wife. Very true. I agree. I love her to bits. One of the things I was thinking about, this idea of affection, was I don't know if you've ever been to the International Terminal Airport when people are returning from a long trip. You're going to see the ones that are there who are just like, you know, mum and dad just do this trip thing all the time. There are those who've been waiting for a long time. Maybe they haven't seen this person for a long time or they've been away for a long time. They come screaming and running and hugging and flowers and signs for the people who do signs and video cameras and all this stuff going on. It's this picture of this this affection going on. Paul's affection is so deep for them and it moves him to pray for them. You can do a whole sermon on this prayer. But notice what Paul prays for this church. What is his prayer for this church? As he's praying... Oh, Lord, please help the church of Philippi to have amazing, good-looking preachers. 
Lord, I pray that they will have this wonderful website, this crazy Facebook page. They're really in, in touch with the modern generation. Oh, Lord, I pray they have an amazing music team on Sundays. I pray that they will have all these amazing small groups. By the way, they're all good things. I'm not bagging them out. What Paul is praying is for something deeper. His prayer is actually caring for them on a very soul-deep level. He's ultimately praying that their love will continue to grow and grow and grow. When we think about love, our automatic mind might be thinking what songs and culture might say to us. This is a different kind of love. This is a deep foundational love. It's grounded on someone and something. It's not just made up airy-fairy stuff. And it's love that brings knowledge and discernment that's driven for a purpose. It's not within self. It's driven for a purpose. And what is that person? He actually says it. He says, to approve what is excellent, pure, and blameless. What he's really driving out to say is saying, hey, this should now drive, and what I'm praying, God, is they will be able to approve what is excellent, pure, and blameless. It's an outward sign of what's going internally in them. It's a lifestyle kind of prayer. But the end goal, again, is not just fulfilled by for that moment. The end goal is the day of the Lord. And then he moves from external to internal and says that they'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through who? Paul? Or their money giving? No. Through the work of Jesus Christ. And is the purpose and goal why God, while Paul is praying, oh, you know, so that Philippi will be known everywhere? No. The purpose is not for the glory of the church or not even for Paul, but for God himself. See, Paul's response and prayer to them is to say that this church, I want to pray that it will go deep. It's like saying if you had two trees, you have one tree that looks amazing and strong, and underneath is this root system that is really, really terrible, and it doesn't take much of pressure and challenges come, it topples over. But he's praying there's this deep root system growing in this tree that stands. You may look at a tree that's small, but it has a strong root system that can stand, withstand things. What Paul's cry out to God for them is that there will be a church that is of self-sacrificial love. A love that is drawn out and brings discernment. Friends, do you understand why the Christian faith is much more than Sunday mornings and Bible studies and being involved in all these things, which are fine. This is why the Christian message and the, the church is, and the message of the gospel is not just this stuff out there. It's actually a lifestyle that's holistic and ultimately submitting to the one who is at work in you, work in me. And we're going to be seeing that in a few minutes when two people come and share about how Jesus has captured their souls, how Jesus is changing them and continues to change them. And this morning what they're doing is what Christ has commanded them. They're just being obedient to Christ's call to proclaim publicly who they belong to. And not only that, Jesus will continue his work in them on Monday, on Tuesday, until their final breath on the day or when they call or when he returns. So in conclusion, if you call Canterbury Gardens home, I want to say thank you for your partnership on behalf of the eldership. But would you continue to partner not with the church in the sense, but partner with Jesus Christ and his good news? And I want you to know, if you are a follower of Jesus, be encouraged. Christ is at work in your life. And he will continue his work. He's a keeper of promises. And finally, I just want to pray this prayer for us as a church. 
Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray for those of us who don't know you, that you will continue to reveal yourself. That it is in you that we will find true peace and grace. Lord Jesus, I pray for those of us who are followers of yours, who may even call this church home, that you will grow in us your love, that it will continue to abound in us more and more with knowledge and all discernment, Lord, that you will enable us to prove what is excellent so that we may be pure and blameless for the day of your return. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with the fruit of righteousness that can only come through you to the glory and praise of the Father. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.